Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining me is at OmniFin, Nico from Consensus Network, the company that he has set up to further his mission and his vision of furthering Bitcoin education around the globe. It's an excellent project he's put together, translating as many Bitcoin books as he possibly can into as many different languages as he possibly can. Just your regular pleb who managed to escape his fiat life, which was a career in project management engineering construction which we go deep into like uh, i know there's a lot of you out there that are thinking about escaping their fiat careers and look for some kind of uh, i know social proof that it can be done well nico is one of those guys that's managed to do that for himself so tune in hope you enjoy the show thanks again nico for coming on right before we get into it make sure you're stacking sats do you know where to do that if you do not i'm about to tell you if you're in the us of a you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bits and that gets you a free ten dollars when you sign up and start stacking with swan set it and forget it with another service across europe relay.ch forward slash bitten they are the swan equivalent across europe you can download their app uh, you can do this with pounds as well bitcoinreserve.com forward slash bitten also have you covered you can stack up to thousand pounds a day with them on a card only service i know of that can do that and give you a white glove service for anything 50 grand and over pounds and euros accepted get rid of this fiat as soon as you can coincorner.com forward slash bitten my goodness, have you seen the news? Have you seen what these guys are doing with their bolt cards, with their point-of-sale machines, with merchant adoption? Not only across the Isle of Man, they are going to be pushing out across all of Europe as well. Make sure you go and check them out. Euros and pounds accepted. You see what's happening? We're catching up with our cousins across the pond. There's so much great stuff going on here in Europe. Uh, make sure you want to get to one of these conferences meet bitcoiners there's loads going on we just saw the human rights foundation one in oslo lots of great tweets coming out of that get around there's surfing bitcoin going to be in Biarritz. there's the riga honey badger coming up make sure you head over to prague 21st to 23rd of october as well i will be speaking there that's liberty in our lifetime run by free cities foundation talking about parallel structures these links are in the show notes, guys. Don't forget that. If you use Princey20 for Liberty in Our Lifetime, you'll get 20% off. Bitcoinday.io are across the US. Micro meetups every month. Although those micro meetups are getting bigger. Don't miss them. Get over there. Hit the link in the show notes. Use OB10 for a 10% discount. And uh, are you stacking your sats safely? Because if you're not, you should be. And you should be using a Bitcoin hardware wallet. And you can use Shift Crypto's bitbox02 bitcoin only edition shift crypto.ch forward slash bitten saves you five percent listen out for the consensus network link affiliate information here 
in this pod that you can set up one for yourself and help push the message too. Enjoy the show, guys. Take care. All right, guys. Lauren, we're here with Nico. Say hi. Hi. Now, this is... This is cool to do because we actually had the opportunity to meet Nico when we were visiting Madeira and passing through and even share a steak dinner with him, steak on skewers. Uh, Thank you very much, Andre, if you're listening. Big shout out because there's a lot of work going on in Madeira and Andre is uh, a huge driver of that. So good, good, good to catch up with you, man. Yeah, same here, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. All right, Lauren, fire away. What have we got for Nico? Um, I didn't ask you this when we were out for dinner, but um, what do you like about Bitcoin? What do I like about Bitcoin? That's a, that's a very good question. I would say freedom. It's the ultimate tool of enforcing my freedom and allows me to take full responsibility of my actions and harvest the fruits of my labor without anybody being able to confiscate them or touch them. So for me, it's all about freedom. Um, Money is a tool. Uh, For me, freedom and time is the ultimate form of wealth. So um, Bitcoin is a way to store that and help me to maybe buy more time for myself and for my family in the future. So that's the best thing I like about Bitcoin. That's pretty powerful. Powerful. And you're always going to have that. This is what blows my mind because, you know, our kids that they're, they're never going to have to, I hope, right. Uh, fingers crossed listeners that, that they will never have to know the fiat life that you and I endured for many, many years. Oh yeah. Yeah. It breaks my heart that so many people think that's the, that's the correct way to do like, you know, our grandparents were already in the fiat world. There's not many people alive. I don't think maybe not none of them anymore that live in the hard money standard. So this is something completely new for everybody. And uh, yeah, I guess that's what we're both trying to do here. Try to help people to open their eyes, see that there's alternatives. I'm not going to pretend that it's, it's great a solution to everybody. It's up to you, but at least you should be aware of the of the different options that you have. You do not have to go to nine to five. You don't have to throw away your most scarce asset, which is your time in this, uh, you know, rat race. Maybe you enjoy it. It doesn't really matter, but know that there's options. I know that it's always yours. That's, you know, that's why you have to stack as much as you can right now. Stack and sets. That's right. Do you have any more questions? Um, no, I don't think so. Mind is going through. Nope. No. Okay. No. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. See you. Bye. Later. See you later. Hopefully we can see you again. For sure. <laughs> yeah, we will. Don't worry. We're going to cross paths again. That's, uh, that's a guarantee. Uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, touching on that like uh the the fiat century i'm rereading the the fiat standard uh, by safe and going through his online course that he's doing as well so each week he will release a a lecture and then we get to hang out on like the wednesday or thursday whatever it is that week and discuss that particular chapter and so we just did the first one this week 
And it suddenly struck me that, you know, like 1915 was when it all began, all of this bullshit, when the, the Bank of England, uh, when there were queues of people standing outside the Bank of England in, just before the August Bank holiday in 1915, looking to take their gold out. And I was thinking, damn, man, that would have been my great-grandparents. Yeah. Were they in that queue? Because both sides of my family came from London. And since then, it's been a lifetime of fiat bullshit. Right. And the most murderous century ever known. Yeah, and it's it's sad that people don't make the the connection. Like it is accepted fact that war is inevitable, and to some extent, sure, you know, conflict is certainly inevitable at some point. However, what people miss is that war has been made infinitely more affordable, and that's I think what Saif does a great job in both his books, Bitcoin Standard and Fiat Standard, to flesh that out. That in fact, you know, fiat is used to confiscate wealth and time and enslave people to feed the ever-hungry war machine and infinite war. And I, I believe Saif is also of the opinion that actually the Great War, as the World War I was, was called once, never really ended. Like we have the sequels after sequels, and now people are talking about World War Three. but I don't think, and I agree with Saif, that, that, that we never really exited the, the, the war. It never ended, and it won't end as long as the, the, there's this infinite war chest that the, the warmongers can tap into. Which is crazy when you think about all of the social justice warrior bullshit that comes along by the fiat kind of mindset and how easy they are, how easily they're infiltrated with their ideas as soon as they can be pumped full of cash, you know, Greenpeace being a perfect example. And yeah. Patrick Moore, his book is, is a great exposure to that. And he was the, one of the founding members of Greenpeace until all of a sudden in comes the money because it's infinite and the right people have the right tools to get in, to shape the narrative to whatever they want it to be. And then when you start doing your homework on, on other turning points in history shall we say uh, you look at the um the the women's rights movement which would have been heavily infiltrated by certain people to to shape that narrative to exactly how they wanted it to to end up because they've suddenly figured that yeah shit if we get a ton of more women into the workplace then we can almost double our um, tax base which is shocking when you start peeling back all of these onions, and it's not just Bitcoiners that have been talking about this. These, 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 this stuff is in books uh, like you know, Tragedy and Hope, for example. Uh, Jekyll Island, he reveals so much more than just the, the, the failure of the, um, the fiat system and, uh, and the Bretton Woods. You know, he does an incredible job you know, exposing World War I as well for, for what it was. Uh, there's... There's so much knowledge out there that we're only now coming to appreciate as we start to interact with Bitcoin and move back towards a hard money standard. 
Right. And this idea of dual income is it's very new. Like it used to be the norm that the man would go go to work and support the family and, and the wife would take care of the kids and and cook and clean. That that's that's the norm. That's like what is now called and almost vilified as the traditional value model. <laughs> and and you know, like it's something bad. And we need to be modern and support these women so that they can get these jobs. Um, I have nothing against that, you know, if, if somebody, anybody wants to work and have a career, that's not the point here, but there's really no choice anymore. Like what happened in uh, uh, 1971 with uh, when Nixon finally uh, abolished gold standard and, and decide uh, um, what the fuck happened in, in 1971.com uh, lies it out quite well how productivity has been growing but compensation has not. So that makes sense, right? When the technology advances, we, we find better ways to do things, more efficient ways to do it. You know, um, we should be able to get more done and we do, but somehow we can't make the ends meet anymore. Somehow there is no, seems to be no way to save your money and buy your house and, you know, live, live free anymore. You just need to keep grinding and grinding and grinding just to make mortgage payments and, we're in the position where where even dual income from both parents is no longer enough because of all the taxes that is supposedly needed for public education because people don't have time to educate their children anymore which is by the way also the the norm and and this is the anomaly where we live in the past couple dec uh, past couple uh, generations and people forget people don't look into the history and how it used to be and if they do and maybe this is also due partly to the educational system. You know, the bias is brought up very clear that we've never had it better, right? I mean, this is what you hear all the time. Like we should be so grateful of all the technology that we have and these new systems and, and equality. But, you know, we do have the technological advantages, but are we really reaping the, the benefits of those or are they going to some very select few pockets? that that one is we've never had it better like imagine where we could be if uh we had not all been locked away and taught the exact same shit as each other for 15 years with a slightly different bias put on which depending on which nation you grew up in right uh if you'd have been left alone to explore your interests as um as early as 12, 13, 14, whatever, even earlier. Um, I can't imagine where society would be because like all of this technology we have, we have from a few mavericks, right? Uh, and kind of dropouts as we like to label them, uh, you know, or, or like even the Wright brothers, right? They, they, were, um, they were just bike shop owners, big dreamers and went out there and got it done. Who's doing that in, in today's time? We, we 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 look at people like it's all the usuals that now that get named like Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. I mean, are these really people that we need to be like idolizing as just amazing people? That uh, no, <laughs> clearly not. How much talent has been completely demolished in the last century? Yeah, yeah, it's a tragedy. 
And uh, I would say that the broken window fallacy plays a big part in the whole fiat culture because it's it's easy to point out and say, look, you know, look what government did. But, you know, all these jobs and, and, and all these useless projects and, and jobs that were created, quote unquote. Uh, but it's very difficult to point out, look, what would have happened if government didn't intervene? And look, what would have happened if we were never uh, in the fiat standard, if we would keep with the gold standard? You cannot assess that. And that's why it's so difficult to say, where, where would we be? I don't know. There's no answer to that. And people don't like to think that way because that's not what happened. Rather, we just analyze what did happen. And then I guess there's also this way of humans to try to explain everything that happened in the best way possible. It's a coping mechanism. We've never had it better. But how would we know? We could have had it better. We should have had it, had it better, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, 100%. Man, that got deep very quickly. We we didn't even do like the whole uh, rabbit hole story or anything like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, all right. Let's back up. Um, we'll, we'll come to what you're doing with Consensus Network uh, later because you know that that's kind of like the the cherry on the cake of the story. What were you? Um, yeah, who were you in Fiat Life then? Like how how did that work out for you? Like you, uh, you you went through the school, through the college, through the uni. Did you do the linear uh, kind of um, uh, path and then find yourself a career? What what was going down? Yeah, I did the whole nine yards. I spent in school probably more than twenty years of my life. I got two degrees. Um, I'm a construction engineer by by my fiat trade. I still like building stuff. And uh, maybe one day uh, I'll be useful in when we start building those citadels. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the, the fiat life was like, it was terrible experience for me for the first almost 30 years of my life. You know, ever since I was a kid, I, I just never felt like everything is right. Like I never fitted in, in anything. I wanted to do things my way, but it was always, I was always suppressed by you know uh well you don't know anything like you're just a kid or you you don't have the edu correct education for this you need to go to school and you know stop wasting your time with those stupid computers they're never gonna you know make a difference in the world you know like i was i remember i was building my own uh, social media platform sometime in the in, end of 90s and and uh, you know i was on the computer all the time and everybody was said that you know like stop wasting your time go get a proper education you know get a girlfriend and and all, all that. And sad to say, I did listen. I tried to fit in so many years. Fiat friends, fiat job. I thought that's the way life was supposed to be. You know, I, I made uh, pretty good money, like average money as a construction engineer uh, in, in Helsinki in Finland. I, I was running these uh, quite big projects for uh, commercial renovation, hotels and stuff. But, but, you know, like, even though I felt like a little bit of accomplishment when we get something done, but it was all in a way fake. Like we, we had this old, uh, you know, turn of the century, uh, late 1800s buildings that we basically raped with gypsum board and plastic and oh. steel and glass. And uh, the best part was to, you know, to 
strip strip the old stuff apart so you can see the actual you know gold standard time building techniques and and you know what did the people do at that time how they built it and what we build now is nothing compared to that so already then i started to like question like how does it make sense but the last throw was when when uh, i was working hard overtime in in 2011 and by the by the half, halfway of the year my income had rise so much that i had to actually pay 60% tax of my my income so i just lost the, i mean that point it was completely pointless like i was basically grinding i was working harder than ever and I was making maybe a couple hundred extra compared to that because whenever I work more, they would take more. And it's just, I lost interest and uh, I burned out. Like it, it was just, uh, I was at the end of the road. I had something had to give. Um, I wasn't smart enough to see it before that happened. I had to experience it the hard way. So uh, then I felt like I had nothing, else, nothing left to lose. I just said to my boss, like, look, I can't do this anymore. I need a break. Like, I'm going to take a year off if that's okay. And if you don't want me back, I understand. But luckily he was understanding. And then he said, like, yeah, go take a year off and, and come back if you feel like it. So that's what I did. So I, I sold everything that I thought I owned, but actually ended up owning me. Um, you know, I have a lot, lot of fiat stuff, like, you know, video projectors and, and, and video games and all the useless crap. I sold it all. And what I had left, I put in like a small backpack and I hit the road for like uh, 12, 13 months. I don't remember exactly. I took the train from Helsinki to first Trans-Siberia to Mongolia, uh, to China and then uh, Vietnam and Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia. And then from there I flew to India to a wedding and then we went back to China and then finally to Singapore, which was my original goal. And that trip, man, that was like the, the ultimate rabbit hole and the, the orange pill, like maybe even more so than discovering Bitcoin later. And by the way, as a side note, I had discovered Bitcoin in 2010, uh, which was a, a year before this happened, right. uh, which, which is another funny story, but I can, I can go come back to that later. Sure, I'll have what, what I discovered, what I discovered during that trip was freedom maximalism, mm -hmm. like the the unencumbered feeling of being your own master and not having to wake up six a.m. and and going in the darkness and cold into the site and have to having to be there physically to be able to cash in these uh, fiat checks that somebody took half of anyway. Um, I didn't have any money, you know, I, I had just enough to pay off all my debt. So I was completely penniless when I was started traveling. Uh, so I did some odd jobs here and there, took on some credit card debt to keep traveling. But it was the, looking back, it was the best decision that I ever made. Um, within the first month into traveling, I met my wife, still my wife, um, so a lot of good things happened there. But the main thing was that I realized I don't need to be anybody's slave. I've, I've traveled before, but it was like fiat traveling, you know, take a vacation to the Alps and skiing and stuff and drinking and, you know, blah, blah. Uh, this was different. I was traveling alone, which I also recommend to everybody to solo travel. 
because it's a way different game. You have to go out of your comfort zone to meet other people and have these experiences you thought you could never, never have. And you probably wouldn't if you're with your, your buddies. So you become like this bubble that just travels together. But when you travel alone, you, you have to break out from your bubble all the time. And, and that, that was a really powerful experience and to see how other people live. And, you know, there's this fallacy that Finland is somehow the most uh, happy <laughs> nation. That's complete bullshit. I can attest to that. Like, I don't, I don't know many more unhappy people than Finnish people. Uh, but I, I found that people who lived in this, like, seemingly to me, poor conditions were much, much more happier. And I think uh, one, one of the reasons was that... Um, they were not encumbered by this fiat delusion of wealth, of having a fat paycheck and a good career and education. They were just living. They were happy. And yeah, I wanted to be like that. So many crossovers there, mate, because we did the same. Uh, I didn't do it solo, but we did it as a family, you know, quit the job, sold all the things, took the kids out of school and started traveling. And that the, the biggest takeaway for me as well was that that feeling of freedom of not having to wake up. First thing, not having to wake up to an alarm clock. That is so key for so many people that uh, have never done that. Like you only get to experience it. Like you say, you traveled before, but on holiday, you, you, it's not traveling, is it? That's holidaying. That's, that's vacationing. Right. That there's a, a stark difference. Uh, but when you have got your feet held to the fire and you have no idea if you've got a roof over your head like next week, right? That, that's when you start really kind of living. It's, you know, it gets turned up and it's like, wow, this is living. This is what living is all about uh, and meeting people and getting out there and solving real life problems. But at the same time, you don't have that like that nagging tugging at your shirt tails you know like no in the fiat system there's always something tugging you back and there's always some kind of administrative process or some bullshit tax forms to fill out uh, or, or some bullshit fiat obligation that you've got to you know meet having all of that just wiped away was unbelievable uh, and I, I urge anybody. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to Sir Badminton. He was over for Bitcoin pizza uh, the other day and he, his tweet summed it up perfectly well. Like, what's the point of having fuck you money if you don't say fuck you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And there's lots of plebs now in, in positions of being able to extricate themselves from their fiat life. And I see it on Twitter Certainly each week, I would say there's just somebody else that posts, just quit my fiat job, you know, let's go. Can't wait to add to the uh, the Bitcoin community. And I can't tell you how much, how bullish that makes me when I see those tweets, because there's going to be a, a another huge wave of creativity coming our way to, to build better tools, better services, better content. Uh, and we'll get to what you're doing. Um, so yeah, let's go. That's all I can say. It's just an amazing thing to do. Yeah. Look, you know, like I know there's a lot of young plebs listening and you know what, like what I 
what helped me is that I, I really had no, I really thought I had nothing to lose. But go, looking back, you know, that applies to everybody. Like, what do you actually have to lose? Like, you can always go back if you feel like, okay, I made a mistake. I want to go back to my fiat life. You can do that. Like, there's plenty of opportunities and options. It's just a question, you know, once you taste the freedom, are you ever going to want to go back? For me, that's a no, absolute no. Like, there's, it's non-negotiable. I'm completely and utterly unemployable at this point. <laughs> uh, but I'm not saying that will happen to everybody. Like, maybe maybe, maybe you hate it. Uh, who am I to say? But if you never try, if you never take the risk and see how it tastes, you will never know. Um, yeah, go back if, if, if you don't like it. Yeah, 100%, mate. You mentioned burnout. What did that look like for you? How, what, what was going on in those, those last few months where it was just getting too much? Uh, it was pretty ugly. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty bad. Like, it got to the point that I was working maybe 16 to 18 hours a day. And I was sleeping at the side uh, on the couch. I would just get plastered after, after a while. I, after I couldn't go anymore, I would go to a bar and, and get hammered and then wake up from the floor of the office or, or from the sofa and then go back to work for another 18 hours. And it was just, I was just surviving, like barely. And while I got some stuff done, I certainly wasn't at the peak of my productivity at that time but you know how fiat life is like even even with you know lackluster um productivity you can still hold on to a job because the competition is not really it's it's not an efficiency competition like it would be in hard money standard where you actually have to ship really good results (laughs) to stay in the in in the job not so in the fiat world like there's so much incompetence in all levels I'm saying, by the way, in the educational system, you know, I never really like this is going to sound a little bit of like a brag, but it's true. Like I really never put any effort to my fiat job or my, my fiat education. I was uh, drunk most of the time uh, in, in the school and also in the, in the job. You know, construction industry in Finland is, is quite, quite the uh, alcohol-driven industry indeed. Um, it was, it was like, yeah, it was just floating around in some kind of like cloud of complete uncertainty. And, and at the same time, somehow I was convinced and certain that this is the correct thing to do. This is the only thing to do. I just need to endure a little bit longer, you know, that feeling like mm-hmm. maybe just a, another year or two and uh, things will get better, but they never do. And I, I pushed that too, too far and then I realized like there's no more. I can't push anymore. So that's what the what the burnout looked for me. Did you? This is the excuse I used to try and make to myself. I would be in a supposed uh, to be a Saturday night. My wife and I'd be at a, a really fancy restaurant, and I would kind of convince myself, "This is why I do what I do. This is why I work as hard as I work because." we can wear nice clothes. We can take the cab to and from the, the very expensive restaurant. I can drop 500 bucks on a really nice dinner and we can pay for someone to look after the kids. And this is what I do. This is why, this is why I do what I do. And we've never had it better. All this same kind of coping mechanism bullshit. When you're sitting there, really, 
it happened to me one night. I was sitting around. I was sitting at a restaurant going through this thought process like, you know, why am I so fucking fatigued, tired? Why am I already despising the fact that I've got to get up on a Monday morning and fearing that? Uh, and looking around the restaurant, it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Not everybody in here is in foreign exchange. <laughs> there's got to be, there's got to be, therefore, another way to live. And then it's like, okay, well, what would that be? And what might that look like? And for you, being in, in construction, I'm sure you went through those same mental games. The only reason yeah. I can afford these bottles of champagne or the only reason I can, you know, I've got this corporate company card or whatever else is because I do what I do. Yeah, yeah, uh, completely correct. And that's one reason why I went back. I, I did after the trip, after I ran out of money and uh, I was teaching English in, in China uh, to kids for a couple months. Uh, but uh, I still had kind of like the fiat mindset in about living and spending. So, so I felt like, okay, I, I'm going to go back just a little bit, you know, uh, to pay off my credit card and make some, make some money fast. But it was never the same. Like I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't adjust back to the life. It felt completely foreign. Um, after, after maybe uh, six months, I was done again. And then I tried another fiat job, didn't work. And then I tried a third one, didn't work, all less than a year each. And in 2013, I started my own consultancy. I found a way to provide value to construction companies uh, using my skills and working for myself. That was a step towards um, more of this like... Uh, balance with traveling and free life and working wherever I want, digital nomadism, basically. So once that happened, then, then it allowed me to travel more. And, you know, also with my, my uh, girlfriend and later my family. And like, for example, in Cambodia, I could, I could just do some actual seats on my phone and send them to, uh, to my client and, you know, get paid. I thought, wow, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> you know, it's so much better than going to the office or going to the site and, and exchanging your time because right, I, I was selling those reports and those documents that I made. And what you can't do in fiat life is that what happens in fiat life is that if you're really efficient and really good at making, making those actual sheets or whatever the hell is that you do, what's going to happen is you're not going to get paid more for your time or you can't leave more early. You will get more work to do and you still have to spend the whole day uh, you can't just, you know, yeah, I'm done for the day and then I'm going to go. They're not going to accept that. Not so when, you, when you're working for yourself, because what you're shipping is results to the customer. Make, make the customer happy, save the customer time. They will pay you according to the time they save, not according to the time you work. So that was a big revelation, you know, starting my own company and, and realizing how value is, is created and, and what specialization does. And, and how we should always try to focus on the things that we are really good at where we can compete. So then we can do that job in 10 minutes that would take somebody two hours and charge for two hours. And, and that was another, like, almost felt like a life hack. Like, why, why is this not talked about? Why do, do not more people do this? Like, time-based compensation is such a dead end. Like, that it just kills productivity 
it's just like the public education you know the the average person does not exist there's uh, this the system doesn't benefit anybody. You know the people who lack behind are suffering, and the people who are above the curve suffer as well. Did you fall into any books uh, that you were reading on your travels that helped start shaping your mind about uh, changing your lifestyle? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Fight Club was a was a great book that I read. I've seen the movie before, but the book is way better. Right. And... I didn't even know there was a book. Man. Oh really? You should read yeah, it. Yeah, I've straight. got to now. I love the film, yeah. but now, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The book is awesome. I, I'm sure everybody's seen the film, but if you haven't read the book, then then you should. Uh, it's written by Chuck Palahniuk, I, I believe. Uh, he has some other good books as well. Uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Survivor. Yes, that's that's one of the books that um, that really spoke to me. Um, that there's this quote, for example. Uh, you know, I, I saw some, I wrote this uh, about this in my travel blog. I saw some kids working in, in Russia in the, in the train stalls, selling snacks and stuff. And, you know, at least in Finland, we have this kind of like idea that child labor is very bad and, you know, you shouldn't make kids work and blah, 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 you know that. Uh, but it, it was so different there. Like it was just their life. They were just living life, just making, making some money and, and surviving. And the quote goes something like this. Uh, you know, like nobody lay awake at night pondering if wheat is content being made into bread. So that was like in in in, in one, when seeing seeing those kids work there, it just made me realize like these kids really don't have the luxury and the optionality that we did. Like we were so spoiled in in the Western in Finland, for example. We have all these opportunities and they tell us these stories that, you know, just get a good education and you're going to be have, landing a good job and you're going to have this great life. But then, you know, somehow I felt like that kid who was selling those, uh, those pretzels or whatever he was selling, uh, maybe he was better off after all. You know, he has the option, he has this, he's going to acquire the skills to make business and sell things to people that need it and want, want it. And, you know, capital accumulation instead of getting a useless degree in, in you know, like gender studies or something like that. And you're never going to get employed <laughs> and you're going to be living from government subsidies all your life. So that's, that's going to fuck you up quite bad way worse than than any kind of like child labor in china's the same thing it's very common there that, that the kids participate as as best as they can and they learn skills of survival like i think that goes back to the virtual signaling like we should protect the kids and and uh, you know but isn't the best protection you can give a kid to give them the means of survival when you're gone yeah, exactly. And you, you've, you've brought up a good point as well about uh, the travel because we traveled extensively through Southeast Asia. I mean, we lived there. We lived in the privileged, but the privileged country or position of living in Singapore. But of course, we would visit Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, you know, Bali, uh, all of the other countries that um, we've mentioned, uh, Indonesia, wider, broader. Um, and then it's like, okay, define poor. Because I saw people living in 
what you would probably deem to be like a, a shanty town, perhaps, or like you know, is corrugated iron roofs and you know whatever else. But they still seemed way happier than most people that I knew back in Singapore who had the colonial mansion and the uh, you know the the six by ten swimming pool and all. 16 kids in the the local freaking international school and i could never figure out like what why is it the in air quotes the the poor poor people always happy and smiling and playing in the street and doing what they want to do and around their family and whatever else and you know and still fed but we have to solve their problem for them you know, we've got this such twisted view on you know what makes a person poor and it's a fear view yeah yeah exactly like nowadays we talk about the uh, well there's two kinds of new rich uh, in the language uh, oftentimes it's um, in the in the normie world new rich means somebody who just recently got into some easy money, which is a lot of people nowadays. But uh, what you and I are talking about is, is the time rich, right? So once you understand that none of us are millionaires in terms of hours, like we don't have that many hours, like we're not going to ever get more of those. So it's all about how we use those. And once we reclaim that part of the wealth, then we can call ourselves new rich. And then, of course, money is an amplifier. It's a tool. If you have more money and you have your time, then you're maybe super rich or, or you're you know, even richer. But money rich alone, it's not, it's not really impressive, especially nowadays with the inflation. Like There's more and more euro millionaires. It's not super impressive anymore, especially if you drive your um, you know, Bentley to the office every day and spend there most of your time doing some, building something for somebody else and not yourself, I don't consider that rich. Like you might have a fatter bank account, you might have a nicer car, and most likely most people do. Um, what I realized is that, that that stuff never really made me happy. It's like a Band-Aid. It's like, um, you know, when you try to quit smoking and you slap on a Band-Aid and then you think everything's going to be right, but then you want more and you need more Band-Aids and uh, you can't fix that. You just need to step out, out of it entirely and reclaim your time. And that's what money does well, but not just any kind of money. Like fiat money does not do that. You can't just put a, a million dollars on your bank account and think that's going to, like, that's what I literally thought when I was a kid. Like, oh, if I get a million, I'm going to be set for life. Like, that's my goal. But that's not going to last you much longer. Like, if you, if you hold on to that, you have to aggressively invest in something to even to just keep the value. So you need hard money. That's where Bitcoin comes in. And that's why Bitcoin is likely going to eat all this like other store of value and saving instruments, which real estate and, and stocks and, and basically all these investment, investment vehicles have become an instrument of saving because money no longer holds value. You know, it's like a bucket that has holes in it and it tries to store water in it. <laughs> Just silly. I mean, you're always going to be filling it. And that's exactly where most people are. So... Bitcoin, 2010. Take us back. What was going? What happened? All right. 
Yeah, this is this is funny because I, I don't think many Bitcoiners can say that they 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 heard uh, about Bitcoin from their mom in 2010. That, that is the case with me. <laughs> so I like to bring that up, okay. even though it's kind of like a, in a way painful memory because I was so close and so far away uh, of of you know like kind of understanding and uh, like I mentioned before, I was into computers like in the 90s obsessed and with all the kind of software and and uh, peer-to-peer software piracy was was uh, pretty big back then and well i guess it still is but but uh, at that time it was super exciting to be able to download music and of course it took forever with a modern uh, connection to get one song and then it got better and better and it was really fascinating time and and then um I think it was uh, 2010 summer or, or, or spring, we went to this mini golf place in my hometown in Tampere. And there's this uh, technical university that my, my mom went to uh, back in her day. And for some reason, she knew that there was like this Bitcoin community in the university. And they were actually the ones who were running the mini golf. And they had this like, like tiny sign that said that uh, we accept Bitcoin. And I saw that sign. <laughs> Oh. And, and I was just thinking out loud, like, what, what's Bitcoin? And funnily enough, my mom had an answer to that. Of course, you know, very, very simple answer that, you know, it's like uh, internet money, which is in a way a, a perfect explanation of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but the implications was, were obviously not clear to either of us. So after that, uh, it stuck with me. And then I did some research. I downloaded the client. And uh, I think I went to China to do my, my dissertation. Uh, that summer and i had my work laptop that i had borrowed for the for that time so i i run the client on on the laptop for a while in in the summertime Uh, but then life got into the way again i had to finish my school Uh, my grandpa died so i had to fly back to finland so i kind of like just you know dropped it and it's like okay no more playing around with this uh, stupid nerd stuff and let's get my degree and go back back to my fiat life grinding and it was it was this uh, one year before, before my burnout, and when I decided to to break the chains of fiat forever. But funnily enough, Bitcoin was not a part of that. Like Bitcoin was just this detour, this funny curiosity for me for like a couple months when I explored it, it and and then uh, I discarded it. And this happened like multiple times between 2010 and and 2017 when I actually read the white paper, and then it was like. Uh, this sinking realization once I read it and I kind of understood what, what it means to have an unstoppable and unconfiscatable money. And it was like, I was excited and panicking at the same time. And of course, beating myself up for not reading up on it before, but of course that's a useless thing and I don't regret anything. It's just a, a, a funny way how, like I've heard this kind of similar stories from others too, like how they dis, uh, just uh, ignore Bitcoin for so many years. So I completely sympathize with, uh, with many smart people to today doing the same thing for the same reasons and thinking that the fiat life is the correct way to go. And this is just something funny money in the internet. But I guess we've, we've moved uh, quite a bit forward from there, like... Bitcoin is not the same as it, as it was in the beginning. So I, I guess uh, things are a little bit different now. And there's no way we would have held it, 
right? You, you, no, you, no, no way. No way no. You, you'd have been the pizza guy, right? Someone, yeah, there'd be there'd be way more of us if if we had all bought Bitcoin when we first heard about it. There would be so many more. It wouldn't be these sub stories of oh, I wish I would have bought it the first time I read that article. Like no. It would be, no. yeah, then I spent 10,000 Bitcoin on a pair of roller skates because, yeah, I just wanted to go roller skating that weekend. Like It would, it would be just littered with just pointless crap. <laughs> like, just... That, you know, in a way, that's what Bitcoin is for. Like holding only makes sense in the context of spending, right? It's just when are you going to spend it? And, and yes. it's, it's a savings tool, first and foremost. But savings doesn't make sense if you're never going to spend it, right? Like dead men can hodl. Um, so you have to have the idea that you're going to use it for something, invest or spend it. And, and we will, of course, because we don't, we're not going to stop existing in Bitcoin standard, which is also this uh, general thought that has been tossed around that, you know, we need consumption. Well, consumption is implied if we want to stay alive, right? It's mm -hmm. just that malinvestments will, 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 uh, will disappear most likely, not entirely, of course. But we will be much more careful what we spend on. Like I, I once once I read about Bitcoin, I started thinking about everything that I buy in terms of uh, time value, uh, like value over time. Like how much value does this thing that I'm about to buy yield me over time? Is it worth it, or should I just hold on to the Bitcoin? I think this is this is what most people think now. That this is why there's memes like you know sell your chairs and you you know <laughs> sell everything. You know, um, I have some uh, underwear that I still use from from those days that I was traveling, you know, 11 years ago or or how long it is. No, it's just, a resale I don't value buy. For those, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I just don't buy stuff like I used to. Like I used to just buy stuff to make myself happy for like two minutes. Yeah, absolutely right. That what what do people call that? Um, uh shopping therapy or something like uh yeah yeah it's, they would they would just literally go out on the weekend and just hit the malls this certainly used to happen in singapore hit the malls and just go and buy a, a brand new of like 300 dollar pair of shoes You're like yeah what are you doing why would you do that even even back in those days when i was earning decent salary i still could not bring myself to I always had a saving mentality, um, but it was all, you're right. You're always saving for something in the future. Um, Bitcoin, and and I made investments and whatever else with with uh, my fiat salary, which turned out to be mal investments uh, because they're generally run by Ponzi fucks that just want the uh, administration fees and management fees off of you for a 25 year period. You learn you learn th these things the hard way. Uh, yeah. With Bitcoin now, we will reach that point where we find that project or that thing or that person or who, whatever that we see value, like, like you're saying, see value over time. This will be a 10 to 15 to 20 year investment, perhaps not even looking for any kind of alpha, no kind of return on it, just the fact that I see the vision of what this could become and how this could shape the future or add to, you know, what we're already building. Yeah. I would boil it down to like, 
is the thing that you're about to buy going to help you make more Bitcoin in the long term? And if the answer is no, then probably you shouldn't buy it. Like, you know, tools, for example, a new laptop, if, if it's going to produce I mean, increase your productivity so that you can get more done and make more Bitcoin, it's a good investment, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, you're not going to maybe buy a $4,000 gaming machine necessarily just to play some, some games. You know, you do unless you're a professional Fiatland. gamer. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But that's what you do in Fiatland, right? You just go out and yeah. buy those things that you want because it's right on your doorstep. And I work damn hard for that and I deserve it. Yeah, and then you open the the wrapper and you sniff on the new new smell of electronics and you get high for like 10 minutes and then <laughs> you're back to unhappiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're leading us down a dark path of your of your past. <laughs> I'm traumatized. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a travel blog. So whilst you were traveling, you were you were blogging away and, and keeping everybody up to date. Was that just like something you wanted to do? Or was that to keep friends and family involved with with your journeys? Yeah, it was both. I was mostly writing it for myself, but of course, I knew that people are following me and people care. Like, what am I doing? Like, most people, of course, thought that I'm completely crazy walking away from a good job and you know good life and you work so hard to get the education and get this far and now you're throwing it all away well that's that's the the perception and people were worried that what was going to happen so the blog served two purposes it's my diary i wrote it almost every day i wrote everything down took a lot of pictures it's actually quite good you know sometimes i go back and just read it and you know it takes me back um, to those times when i discovered freedom and uh, yeah, I think uh, it served the purpose quite well. It's still up online if, if you want to check it out. Hit me up with a link. I'll put it in the show notes. Sure. What is it? Uh, it's n1ko.wordpress.com, I think. n1ko.wordpress.com. All right, okay. Uh, I will get it from you on chat. So um, we, get, uh, we do get it in the, in the show notes. Uh, we did the same thing. When we traveled, I, I kept a blog. I didn't do it daily, but I did uh, do it certainly weekly, if not bi-weekly, and uh, documented as much as we could, loads of pictures of what we were doing just to keep friends and family updated. But going back now, looking back on it, especially for um, for the kids, is so important because they they remember flashes of it. But when you show them the blog, and especially my older girls now, when they start reading through it, because they'll actually read it now, there's such a connection there to the past and to the people that we used to be uh, and finding freedom. All of us finding freedom together was just uh, so powerful that it's, uh, it's a great thing to do. And did that help you? Because let's get on to Consensus Network now, what, what you're doing with Consensus. Where... What led you to doing, well, let's first of all, tell people what consensus is, and then we'll, we'll, we'll try and figure out what led you there. All right. So Consensus Network is the first Bitcoin-only publishing house. We publish books about Bitcoin in multiple different languages. That's how we started um, translating uh, Cypher Bitcoin Standard. That was the first one in Finnish. It was just... Um, 
I, I just wanted that that specific book available in my language so I, I can educate my friends and family. That was the the, the goal. Uh, but then I found out that there's actually a lot of people who thought the same way in all around the world. So it kind of got out of hand to the point that we're now working on more than 21 languages and 21 titles um, all across the world. We have customers in like 50 different countries. And it's very fringe, obviously, because it's a fringe topic in, in fringe languages. But now we are also expanding to original English English books, and we have like original authors coming to publish first time through us, which is great too, great to find. And uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of like happened accidentally. I didn't plan it or anything. Like my plan was always just to uh, educate people about Bitcoin. So if I go back a little bit to 2017 when I read the white paper. I got completely obsessed by this idea. I didn't do anything except read, you know, listen to podcasts, watch videos. And then at some point when I felt comfortable enough, I started writing my own crypto articles <laughs> in air quotes. Uh, I, I, I did take the, the, the shitcoin detour, unfortunately. I learned my lesson there. Name um, and shame them. What, what, were your, <laughs> what, what was your poison of choice? Uh, oh, there was too many to name, and <laughs> like tens of different shit coins, uh, you know, uh, I think the first one I bought was like bird coin. Uh, the first one I bought was Bitcoin, but then I, I used the Bitcoin to buy, buy these shit coins. And yeah, I did the same. Terrible. I did the same. Uh, well, anyway, um, I feel like those experiences are, are, are also useful and necessary. And I know I'm, I don't find any shame in that. I, I'm happy to talk about those if I can, if I can save some trouble from other people <laughs> to yeah. looking into those. But sometimes, you know, you just have to do your own mistakes and, and learn the hard way. So, so no hard feelings on that. Anyway, <clears throat> um, it, with the 2018 crash of, of shit coins and, and Bitcoin as well, uh, I started to rapidly get into this toxic Bitcoin maximalism. I joined the Telegram group uh, where I uh, met the first like Finnish Bitcoin maximalist and, and my thought process started to change quite a bit. And of course, I was angry with myself and disappointed that, you know, I wasted my time and wa wasted my money when I could have just, you know, bought and held Bitcoin, which is <laughs> honestly what everybody should be doing and not, not playing with this uh, gambling tokens i mean if you're into gambling sure i get it but you know at least know that it's not a replacement for bitcoin uh so so there was this uh, opportunity to start the first bitcoin association or rather cryptocurrency association um in 2018 in finland so i i uh, i went there and you know kind of like just volunteered to become the the chairman and I'm, I'm pretty good at talking. So I've convinced everybody, nobody knew me there. I convinced everybody that, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy and I promised to devote unlimited time into educating. So, so they, they selected me for the first chairman of the association. So that was really good because then I had this uh, support network already. I, I kind of had uh, an audience to talk to and maybe some kind of like fiat authority through the association, which helped me a nobody, nobody knew me. Nobody cared who I was, but suddenly I had this, uh, some kind of a voice and I, uh, we made together with the team, like maybe a hundred videos on the first, first year, most of it in Finnish, which is really difficult to find, um, in Finnish, uh, good content. And, um, 
we started making some English videos. Max Hillebrand was there from the beginning also. Um, and then we, we kind of like forked away that, uh, from the association to what we started calling consensus network. And the idea be, uh, be, uh, behind the network was just to be like a global network of content creators, you know, educating people about Bitcoin, you know, in their own language or whatever, um, English um, mostly. And then I read Cypherdian's Bitcoin Standard in October 2018. And uh, it was just a very interesting and very special book for me. Like almost everything that was there, I kind of already knew but I didn't really, really uh, make all the connections about what money is and what hard money is. And it just blew my mind that, you know, I kind of like reading the Bitcoin white paper, like the answer was always there. I just didn't look, I didn't take the time to really understand. And what was the best part about the book is the resources that Saif used. And I read almost all the books that he used. And that's how I fell down the Rothbardian and the Mises and rabbit hole, which was uh, 2019. Basically, I read everything I could find from the Mises Institute. And uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. And in early 2019, I, I started the company because I had to have a company to be able to get the license to be able to translate the Bitcoin standard. So kind of like had to go back to the fiat life life there. Uh, just to be able to do that and to my surprise the the book was kind of successful like i was surprised that uh, so many people bought the book so i got encouraged and and in two, uh, 2020 i got the chance to uh, get the portuguese version uh, of that specific book a license for that and and from there uh, we we went to the dutch market and uh, Dutch market was was really great. Like last year with the bull market and and the Dutch Bitcoin standard and the Portuguese Bitcoin standard, we we had like five hundred percent growth in in revenue. And of course, we had all those Finnish books too, but it was completely different than from the first first two two years. So that really opened my eyes. Like you know, this this is something for the future. Like if if the thirst of knowledge in these French languages is already so great and so surprising. What, what would it be when, when we have like 50% penetration of, of Bitcoin in, in the global economy, which is now maybe like if, if we're really optimistic, maybe 1% of, of the people are somehow uh, even remotely interested in Bitcoin. Just a guess. But yeah, uh, then we, we have currently, uh, I think, 10 different licenses for that particular book. And, and we're also publishing size new books in different languages and, and multiple other, others. Knuts Van Home is our first uh, original English author. So everything divided by 21 million uh, just came out in April for our first English title. We now have 10 distribution centers all around the world, including Canada for the North American market and the best part i would say is that we, we never had any any funding like we we've always just sold books and used the money to grow and order more books and and uh, everybody's basically working on sweat equity and hoping that you know at some point uh, you know all of this pays out so i, I call that like a, a starfish enterprise model so it's kind of like sh shared entrepreneurship 
when you don't have a lot of capital to put down because it's uh, of course uh, quite a risk to put a lot of capital into fringe literature and buy buy books that nobody might never ever buy so it's kind of like uh, this game game of balancing which books to stock and and uh, how many can we sell to stay alive but surprisingly um, we've been able to do that with with no funding and with no advertising just just from basically twitter and word of mouth so i'm really proud of how that works and and without the volunteers like we have over 50 people working uh, with all these titles you know translating people basically just uh, report to me send me a message and say like yeah you know i want to translate this book into this language and then i'll see if i can contact the author and you know get the get the rights to translate that and then we have project management groups and on, on Telegram, and we organize the, the work so that everybody can do what they are good at. You know, somebody does the raw translation, somebody's doing proofreading, that we have editors, and then I'm doing the typesetting and graphics and stuff like that. So everybody pitches in, and it's like this uh, wonderful, um, very, uh, very much like Bitcoin operates, you know, it's just free individuals driven by the same idea of, of, of uh, Bitcoin information distribution. And um, nobody's asking to get paid like a fiat salary every month for their work, but they're just doing it because they want to do it. And of course, it's going to be a nice bonus if we can actually make some money, which is the goal, of course, that we can, we can all live from this. But that's not how, how we started. That was not the original point. Like... I don't think anybody gets into fringe publishing business to make money, but we're, we're gathering kind of like this informational and reputational capital, which hopefully we can cash in later. It's such a great model for, I remember when um, Knut was writing independence reimagined and he got a little group together and he was still finding his feet at that point. I don't think he'll mind me saying this. Um, he was still a little bit shy about his writing style and very kind of nervous about writing in his second language. Uh, even though, you know, sovereignty through mathematics was so good. Uh, and he had a little group of us, um, people that he got to know and trusted. And that's how I met um, Hodlinor, actually because we would just see each other's comments because we were proofreading the, um, the script for him and just throwing ideas out there and blah, blah, blah. And then Holden Norton and I just got chatting in the, um, in the back chats. And that was, a, that was a great experience. Guy Swan was in there as well. Uh, and then there was another, for his latest book, there's a bigger Telegram group where there's a lot more people proofreading. And then Jeff wrote the foreword uh, and people doing editing. You know, for the plebs out there, if, you know, th th there's so much... Uh, going on behind the scenes that very few people really uh, know about. And here's a question. For the Bitcoin standard, you have to, I assume, negotiate those terms with the publishing house, right? Because for, yes. I think, yeah, right, okay. But the second book, he just went rogue and like, I'm never going to you know, bow to a publishing house ever again, which is a great move. Uh, yes. So that, that must be a lot easier to negotiate with the actual author rather yes. than the gatekeeper. Yes, exactly. And that, that's exactly what we want to offer to authors, to cut out the middleman, cut out the inefficient fiat giants, uh, these big publishing houses that take forever to reply one email. 
um, when you can just work work with the people like us who are on Telegram every day, you know, you can just reach out, and you you have something to take care of. We just take care of care of it. And it's such like it's very nimble, um, very low overhead. Um, the the like even for the smallest languages, even if we can't afford to make a a, a big print run of the first copy, we can still do the ebook and we can still do Amazon release, which don't require any capital. It's not actually like self-publishing. Like I'm I'm not going to tell you that you need to use our service now. You know, self-publishing is really really easy nowadays. Of course, it's going to take some work and and you know getting used to, but you can do it and you should do it. I don't recommend using these, uh, at least these big publishing houses. Um, but that being said, our service is, uh, if, if you're not interested in doing all that nitty gritty work and you just want to focus on writing good content, that's maybe where we can, we can work together and we can take that boring stuff off your hands. You, you submit your manuscript, we make it into a book and distribute it, simple as that. And you can sell for Bitcoin as well because I bought Knut's latest book uh, via Lightning. Yeah, for sure. We've been using Lightning for three years already, and you know, it just it just strikes me so funny when I, whenever somebody says that, oh, you know, but Lightning doesn't really work, and it's <laughs> like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, it works. The it's the best payment system that I've ever used. Period. There's no like even three years ago, even three years ago, it worked great. And it has only gotten better. And, and uh, last year we moved to BTC Pay Server, our own self-hosted one. It works like magic. Like it works so damn well. Have zero problems with it. Uh, the support is great. Uh, you know, it, it's like the, the the legacy fiat world has has no chance to compete with that once people catch on. So for any of the plebs listening, can they just go straight to your website and order any one of the books that you've translated into any one of those languages via the Lightning Network and have it shipped over? Yes. Yes, you can do that. And not only that, we give 10% discount because we pay premium for, for the better money. You know, I've been actually thinking that it might make more sense to impose a penalty on fiat payments because you know, <laughs> that's the bad one. <laughs> like that's Max Hillebrand talking right there. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, good old Max. But basically, what we're doing is the same. Uh, we just give discount uh, for Bitcoin payments, and that's ten percent. So if you're gonna stack anyway, which you should, um, instead, you know, stack for the for the amount of the book that you want to buy and take advantage of the 10% discount and pocket the difference. Mm -hmm. And stack books. Yeah, stack books. I mean, I, I keep saying to people like, that's a great store of value as well, store of informational value and store of actual value because you can be quite sure that you can sell it to somebody at some point, at some price. So well, not only that, I would argue, actually, if you read the same book in two years time, it just adds infinite more amounts of value because you've grown so much since the first time you've read that book. And all of that kind of information has just you know uh, disseminated through your soul and you've already changed your way of life. When you read that book again, it even six months later, it's a whole new read and it just gives you even more. It, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, like going back to like, you know, if it's going to help, if the investment is going to help you make more Bitcoin, I can't imagine many better investments than than books. Than a $10 yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it boggles the mind when, when you know, people say like, oh, but, you know, 
books are expensive. I don't, I don't want to spend money on, on books. That it's not really expensive, is it? It's, it's expensive in time. You, don't, you just don't want to put in the time uh, mm. to read a book because it might take you a day or two to get through it. So it's a, it's a time preference thing as well. I mean, people don't mind paying 20 euros a month for Netflix and Spotify, right? It's a service that is very easy to buy. But a book is not a service that is easy to buy unless it's an audio book, which is a little bit easier to consume. It doesn't mm-hmm. take so much of your time. You can listen to it on, 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 uh, when you're driving somewhere. But if you buy a paper book, you have to receive it. You have to hold it in, in your hand and you have to turn the pages and you have to actually focus yeah. to read. <laughs> you have to rip so yourself away the... from Twitter. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, you know, or the, the opportunity cost. Oh, it's just, uh, <laughs> but you, you can see my pile of shame behind me here. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting bigger by the day because yeah. fucking plebs keep writing Bitcoin books and then I just have to buy them whether or not I've got the time to read them or not. I, I just have to, yeah. I have to have them one because I want the knowledge Two because I want to, you know, support any of the uh, creators out there that are putting so much of their time and effort and soul into it. You know, it's difficult right. writing a book. It, it, it takes a lot of time, effort, uh, humility and bravery. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like that's a great investment as well. Just to even if you're buying the book, just to support the author and the people who who translated it, because when you support those people and you give your sets to them, they keep making more and they keep educating more people. And guess what? Those people and their children will be living in the same world as you and your children. So if you want to have a better world, it's always a worthwhile uh, investment to support these creators. Even if you're not going to read it, the book yourself, which of course you should, because it's wasted value otherwise, but there's still a lot of value in that, just in the supporting of the work and to giving, you know, like you give a signal that this book is in demand when you buy it, it's a clear market signal that what you do has value. Keep doing it. Well said, mate. Well said. Right. I think we've done, we've done the journey, but we have to ask the last question. And that last question is, if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Hmm. And the orange pill is, would, be, would be that they, they would understand Bitcoin yep. just by taking the pill. pill. Maybe deep- my dad. Oh, nice. Because it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I bet I'm not alone with this, but it, it's difficult. Like I've spent thousands of hours studying and, and learning about this. And yet I can't convince my own parents <laughs> about it. We're it kinda, the it's same hard book. to take, hard to take it personal and not to take it personally. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's a big, um, yeah, it's, it's a shocker. Um, and let's hope, uh, you know, one day someone's going to write that book that orange pills all the boomers. I don't know what that yeah. book needs to be. Uh, I don't know who's going to be the person to do it. I just know someone listening out there will be that person and it will happen and it will just make such a huge difference. 
And once it's written, I'm definitely going to publish it in every single language that I can, because it will be the most important book. I thought the Bitcoin standard might be it, but it seems like um, the boomers don't pick it up for some reason. Some of them do. Yeah, some. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe you've... Yeah. Maybe it's got to be like uh, some kind of reality TV show or something that the boomers yeah. are going to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a comedy show about Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I, I, I hope to meet you again in person one day uh got to give a big shout out to uh to andre who is the pleb that um we met with in in madeira he's doing amazing work in madeira uh launching his um his own thing there a non-profit which is all about education i know he's working closely with you as well with translating certain books into portuguese he's trying his best to educate as many people as possible. I hope to be over there again in June. Uh, if you're, if you happen to be in town at the same time, I very much look forward to seeing you again for another stake. Yeah, same here. And yeah, Andre is doing great, great work and we are, we are working together. He has this uh, publishing house called Monstera Books. You should check it out. Uh, he's specializing in the Portuguese market. And of course we are collaborating because it doesn't make much sense for us to do that for him it, it should be the other way around so you know anybody else who is who is thinking about doing this thing or already doing this thing we should definitely work together and pool our resources because we can reach way more people that way that that sounds so free market like that, yeah. that doesn't sound like a fiat competition at all that sounds like, you know, let, let's pull our resources, do this thing and see, you know, what, what books come to us and what books, what, the best books that get translated into the, uh, the most adopted language doesn't matter. Like it just let's go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we're, we're working with this, uh, this French publisher as well. Um, we, we just agreed we're going to cross list our books. Like, why would we like, I'm not going to be upset if somebody gets a book that I wanted to publish as long as it gets published. Right. And we can list it on our shop too. Like why not? You know, the more channels we have, the more, more people are going to find about these books and it benefits everybody. How do we There's lose? No downsides. How do we lose? <laughs> we, if I mean, we don't work together, we might lose. True. At the same time, it's all about individualism, but it's also about division of labor. And if we want to compete with the fiat giants, we have to use division of labor and work, work together and you know, let somebody else do the heavy lifting in, in their region. And uh, there's also a saying that I think it's maybe from the Bible that nobody is a prophet at, in their own land, which is <clears throat> very interesting. And I, I found... Uh, once I left Finland, I found much more success in, in Bitcoin education. So maybe hmm. that's also something to consider that maybe while you probably have a lot of knowledge in your country, it might be actually difficult. Like, you know, my parents, my dad, it's, it's difficult when somebody knows your fiat self, you know, and you've changed and they didn't change. So it's very difficult to convince somebody that way. Maybe they need an outside voice. So that's another angle into the cooperation to get more people uh, 
like this this uh, global collective almost like a bitcoin dao like decentralized autonomous organization if that makes sense yes it does and how can people find the books if they want to go and check them out consensus.network is the site that you want to go consensus with a k yes consensus with a k and you can reach me with nico at consensus.network that's my email all right i'll follow up with you and get these links for the show notes and we will make sure that people can reach out to you mate is there anything we did not talk about that you wanted to touch on or do you think we uh got everything in there i think that's uh that's quite a lot already um we can always do another one if, if you want to. There's, a, there's no shortage of talk about Bitcoin and, and education. Um, yeah, maybe next time we can talk more about like world schooling and, and uh, you know, other kinds of educational forms. We're also thinking about having like, uh, you know, these introductory kind of classes and then advanced classes on Bitcoin, you know, short video form, which might be more digest- digestible um, for, for normies. That's in the works maybe for next year. Yeah, there's, there's no shortage of work. We got we to gotta, gotta get to it. And uh, yeah, listeners, remember, hodling is not going to cut it. Um, you gotta, we got to learn how to wield the Bitcoin and, and make a difference in the world. Because what good is a fat stack of sats in a barren world that is completely raped by the fiat culture? Yeah, I get it, mate. I do, 100%. And... Yeah, I, I've been an ardent, ardent hodler up until the last, I don't know, nine to 12 months, probably. It was probably after seeing El Salvador come online, to be honest, uh, and then seeing other Bitcoiners living vicariously through other Bitcoiners that were going there and spending their Bitcoin on just the pupusas and, and whatever else in the restaurants. Uh, and, and like the, the, the feeling that that gave them that they were, you know, when they're interacting with those people and like, you know, rewarding them for their time and effort with an actual, with value rather than shit is a much nicer way to conduct business. Mm -hmm. And this is where we're headed. Uh, And uh, yeah, I look forward to um, merchant adoption which I think is the next wave. I had Jose Limas on from Ibex just recently. Jack, you know, announced that uh, the Bitcoin conference, that um, merchant adoption is a key aspect of, of what Strike are doing as well. Uh, we've got Danny announced it this week um, at Coin Corner, their, their lightning bolt card, which is an amazing thing. Uh, this is going to be the next wave. Uh, so don't spend your sats, just... Um, you know, kind of think of, think of it like uh, giving them to someone else to look after. And it's not a lot, right? right? It's not a lot. Yeah. It's not like you're buying a $300,000 house or a uh, $250,000 Ferrari. You're buying a no, book. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, you're buying a book or you're buying some uh, food or you're buying some kind of other good or service, wherever it is. But it's just generally, it's pretty, it's pretty low amount. And, and maybe one more thing to add is that find these tiny sat streams, right? I mean, you don't need to make a lot, but like you said, then there's a lot of these projects like ours and other, others too that are always looking for volunteers to do some work. And then, you know, we, we do 
occasionally sling some sets uh, for the work as well. It might not be anything comparable to like a, a fiat salary, but it will be a steady stream of sets that you can make. Or for example, we have the affiliate program. If you want to help us sell books, then you get paid anything between 10 to 20%, depending on uh, what else do you do with us. So, you know, while you're shit posting and, and, you know, educating people online, you can actually find a way to make, uh, make sets from that. And then maybe use those sets to buy the pupusas and the books. I guess mm -hmm. that in the end of the day, what you want is that uh, tomorrow you have more sets than you had yesterday. Hang on a second, affiliate. So, what would that look like for someone if they're like their ears are pricking up right now? It's like, what do you mean I can ship post on Twitter and get paid for that by just shilling some of your books? What what would they need to do? Right, uh, you only need a functioning email so we can reach you. You can register on our site as an affiliate. You'll get your own code, which will give ten percent discount to the customer. So there's an uh, incentive for them to actually use your your affiliate code. They get 10% off and uh, anybody gets 10% cut of anything that, that they end, end uh, some of the basket that they, the customer buys. And we have two other tiers. Uh, the middle tier is 15% for content creators such as yourself. Our most uh, successful affiliates have their own podcasts or they're writing articles and they just plug in their, their code. And if people want to buy the, our books, well, then you can make some money. And then the top tier is for contributors like translators and people who are in our payroll uh, who, who help us build the company. So that's 20% and authors too. So mm -hmm. for authors, it's also quite um, an attractive way because you're going to be sealing your book anyway. So why not plug in your code and, and pocket 20% of the sales right away, mm -hmm. you know, plus whatever we might make later. So that's, that's something like, that's basically the only marketing that we do at the moment. You know, that's, that's how we boost the, the word of mouth thing. And to, uh, to, to give you some stats from last year, 60% of our sales through our so shop were made by affiliates. So it's actually quite significant. And 30% in Bitcoin. I got to sign up. So basically, I could just shill at the start of every podcast. Don't forget right. to check out consensusnetwork.com forward slash bit and go check out your favorite Bitcoin books and get yourself 10% discount. Yeah, exactly. And also remember to mention that if in. they pay with Bitcoin, they get an extra 10%. So even better. So actually, with if, if you use Dan's affiliate code and you pay with Bitcoin, you get 20% off and then you support Dan like, and you support us. So it's like everybody wins. Oh, mate. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with you on that and we'll, we'll get that sorted out because more books. That's what we need. Uh, yep. More plebs signing up to the affiliate link to, you know, to shield to their own networks and uh, their own followers and share the affiliates with their friends. So they, it's brilliant, mate. I, I did not know you were running that program. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been kind of like in stealth, but uh, I, think, I think we should make a little bit more noise about it because I think it's really attractive. Um, I found, I've got great feedback from, from the affiliates. It's like a game almost. And we're planning to include some gamification elements like bounties, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in games, you have these achievements and these quests that you can do. So every month you could do like three quests, like for example, sell a book in three different countries, and then you get 5% bonus on your, on your uh, monthly stack. Which, by the way, now with the new site, you can withdraw anytime. So you can just log into your affiliate program and, and empty your, your hot wallet that has, has your earnings. Um, so it's, I'm pretty happy with that, <clears throat> but it's in development still. So 
let's call it the beta. Some things may break, so just let me know. But uh, in general, are, are you are well. you building that, or have you got a team of guys helping you out? Is that another volunteer thing, putting all that together? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we we had like a paid developer to put put the the core thing uh, together. First, it was just built by me on WordPress, like a, a janky. Uh, I think it, it worked uh, quite well, but now it's more robust, I guess. Um, just need to add some of more more the advanced features later. Yeah, we probably need a proper developer for that. But for now, we and, All right. you know if any if any developers are listening, we are looking looking for that uh, actively. So just let me know. Or you could always list on bitcoinerjobs.com. I think we always... are listed there already. You are? Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, there you go, plebs. Go find uh, go find that dream job at Consensus Network. Go check out Bitcoiner Jobs and see what Nico's after. Or just reach out to Nico in the DMs and he'll, uh, he'll hook you up. Yeah, thanks, Dan. All right, mate. Great rip. Uh, and like I said, it was actually great to meet you in real life. Uh, I've now started to meet a few more i spent two years just in the wilderness in my back bedroom talking to bitcoiners via zoom and in this last uh two or three months or so is um yeah it's got crazy now i've been able to travel again so it's been awesome to to meet you and um i look forward to meeting you again soon yeah same here all right brother take care take care man well, there you go, plebs. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the show. And thanks again, Nico, for coming on and giving up your time to go through your life and share all those experiences, personal experiences, and inspire others to follow in your footsteps. Uh, huge what you're doing for the space, for education at large to to take these books and to translate them into as many different languages as you have as you have is no mean feat well done keep pushing anybody listening that can help nico out if you feel this is your time you want to step up perhaps you can speak another language or your native tongue uh you've noticed that one of these books is not available in your native tongue and you do have an ability to to help translate it or edit or anything like that these guys need help and like he was saying at the end there they can sling you some sats every now and then it's a way to give back to the community a way to further education you never know who might pick that book up you never know who you're going to inspire and it's a way for you to earn a few sats as well how do we lose i mean we've already won haven't we love it bitcoiners very very bullish on bitcoiners bullish on projects like this bullish on you guys for listening sharing tweeting replying doing it you know whatever you do thank you so much especially if you're listening via uh, fountain or breeze app where you can stream satoshis over if you're interested in checking out my book you can find that that's called choose life that's on amazon pinned on my profile on my uh, twitter account as well uh, before we head off make sure you're stacking you can do it with swan bitcoin relay Bitcoin Reserve and Coin Corner, who are kind enough to uh, support the show and show interest in my work and Lauren's work, of course. Uh, find out more information about the conferences that I've been talking about, bitcoinday.io across the US, and of course, Liberty in Our Lifetime, the conference being put together by Peter Young and the Free Cities Foundation. Uh, I will be speaking in Prague, 21st, 23rd of October. We're talking about parallel systems. I'll be talking about the education system and the alternative to that. 
Uh, Stefan Levera is going to be there as well. Titus Gable and Peter himself, amongst others. And then check out other conferences. Get out there. Go meet some people, some Bitcoiners. Uh, it's always great to meet in real life. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Check out Consensus Network. There's a link in the show notes. There's also a link in the show notes there, a fun link. If you want some streetwear, go check it out. Max from the Bit by Bit pod is shilling some streetwear, and there's a link for you to follow. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one.